Pastor. Today's scripture reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 through 14 through 17. It's on page 96 in your Bible. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for all, every good work. The word of the Lord. We are in a series, this is part two out of a six-part series. We thought that this would be a good time of the year to teach you a little bit of doctrine. And um, I know sometimes you think doctrine is kind of a boring, it seems like a, a not as interesting of a topic, but Christianity is built on, doctrine just simply means sound teaching. It just means teaching. And it's built on what we believe, not on primarily our, our actions. It's not a religion primarily that we say that because we practice these things, therefore we earn our way to God. It's because of what is taught. It is what we believe that God has done for us. Who is he? How has he made the world in such a way that he would reach us? That's what the scriptures teach. And we thought that we would take these six weeks particularly to talk about really the doctrine of scripture. How is it, why is it, how do you know that you can trust this book that we call the Bible and we believe that this is God's word? It isn't just man's word. It isn't just something that human beings came up with because, you know, we have to find some way to run our culture. But actually, it is something that was directed and revealed by God. That's really the question. Now, last week I started um, this, this series by, by giving you essentially a kind of preliminary message about the issue of just knowledge. That's really what I was talking about last week. How do you know what you think to be true is actually true? And, and last week I, I challenged uh, many of you, I hope I challenged you, that even beyond your personal experience and your personal feelings and intuitions, you need a word. <laughs> because it's the word that tells you what is the meaning of what you have experienced. If you feel happy or if you feel sad or if you had some experience like, like our, 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 our dear pastor and his family, you know, something that was fearful and hurtful this week, um, do you have a word? Do you have a word that says that when you apply it to that experience, that's even higher than your intuitions and what you think it is? And so that's really what I, I, I wanted to get at last week. And, of course, we need a word that's above all words. And, of course, that gets to this, this question of Scripture. Today's message, um, part two of this message, it's actually quite straightforward. <laughs> uh, what I want, want to tell you is um, what, the, what Christians have taught always, which is that the Bible, which is God's word, the Scriptures, is it is divine. It is from God. It is inspired, and that is literally exactly what the passage says, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed. That's the way the, the Greek says it. Um, it, it. Traditionally, it has been 
It has been um, God breathed. I don't know if you get this in spiro. Spiro means breath. Spirit is a word that means breath. So it says God's breath inspired, literally. So when we have this word inspired, you're talking about something that has been given a certain breath, or at least that's the origins of the word. And so I think it's a good translation. All scripture is God breathed. But another way that has been said is all scripture is inspired, right? And so inspired doesn't simply mean um, it gives you a feeling that it's really good, okay? That's kind of usually what, what we usually mean is we, we go to um, a, a musical concert and it was inspiring, okay? Or we, uh, we go to an art museum and you see something tremendous and you say it's inspiring and it, it elevates us. The scriptures can do that, it does do that, but that's not what we're talking about here. It is saying that really the scriptures really were breathed out by God himself. And as a, and as, as a corollary of this, so one, it is from God, it has been breathed out by God or inspired, and because of that the scriptures are inerrant. That's a hard one in our culture. And so... Um, I was thinking about this message all, the last couple of weeks um, as I was preparing this series. I, I, I was thinking about maybe about 30 years ago when I was a much younger. Um, this, was a, this was a very uncontroversial subject matter even inside the church. Of course, outside the church, people who, who don't believe in the Bible thought that Christians thinking that the Bible was inspired in an era, that they were crazy. Okay, But um, nowadays... Nowadays, this is a controverted matter even inside the church. And even more than ever, I, I, I can't think of a time in my life where this idea that the Bible is divine, inspired, and inerrant is, is more poorly received. It is more offensive than it's ever been in my whole lifetime. And so um, what I'm telling you is actually not hard to grasp. Right? But maybe it might be hard to go down. All right? It might be a pill that you may not want to swallow or you have difficulty swallowing. And I've met lots of Christians. And I have sympathy for people who believe in Jesus, who grew up in the church, and yet they have problems with this doctrine. Right? And so that's really what the, today's message, I, I'm hoping to help some of you who, who may have doubts or difficulties, especially certainly if you, if you don't believe in Jesus and, but you're seeking but even especially for those of you who do consider yourself a believer in Jesus, if you have difficulty with this teaching, okay? So in three parts. Um, part one, postmodern closed-mindedness, right? I think that's partly a big problem that's going on. There's a huge problem in our society about how we deal with revelation, because that's what we're talking about. In order to know God, he must reveal himself. There must be a revelation because can you go up and reach him? Can we go up and put him in a test tube and figure him out? Is there some way that we can use some kind of like empirical data and our wisdom and our knowledge to be able to figure out who is God, what is God, what is true about God, what is not true about God? There isn't. And if there isn't, guess what? He must reveal himself. And this is really what, what, we're, what we're talking about here today. And I think there's a deep problem in our culture in how we even approach this question. So part one is postmodern closed-mindedness. Part two, inspired and inherent. I'm just going to um, talk about this passage and uh, the implications of that. And part three, um, 
wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. Because that's what it says. The scriptures can make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. Okay. Now, part one. Um, when I was doing my doctoral work in, in seminary, I, uh, I, I studied a particularly brilliant um, theologian. And most of you would probably never want to read him because he's a really bad writer, okay? <laughs> His name is Cornelius Van Til. And he, he wrote this. He wrote this in the 20th century, but, and this was during a period when modernity is really arising. And when you get to the 20th century, I mean, America in the 19th century, we're talking about the 1800s, was deeply a Christian-dominant country. And people believe that the Bible gave you the truth about life and the world. It, not even just Christians, but pretty much most of the society, even those people who, who, who weren't explicitly embracing embracing Jesus as their savior, a lot of this, their God, the Bible probably is a sacred text. If you go even right back to um, Thomas Jefferson, and that's getting pretty far back, he was not an Orthodox Christian. He probably had more deistic type views, but when he even had this view that the Bible was a divine text, was a sacred text, right? But when you get to the 20th century, this thing that we call modernity is starting to arise and people are increasingly starting to think that science and the evidence of the, of the world around us is how we begin to see what is ultimately true. And now that we're in the 21st century, people don't even think science can give you those answers anymore. And that's what we call postmodern. But um, what this theologian argued in the 20th century was this. He says that when he looked into the world, that people tended to have a kind of a schizophrenic and a hypocritical closed-mindedness. And, and, and when I first read this, I said, oh my goodness, he's right on the dot. And he called this the closed-minded. The world is, is a closed system. It's closed-minded because in one sense, the world is a fully closed system. And everything by science, we can figure out this causes this, this causes this, this causes this. And there's really no room for an explanation for a God who's outside of the system to go in. And if so, we don't even have any evidence for it. So let's just stick with science. Everything is inside of a closed system. That's one way that people tend to look at the world. So we, we instinctively look at science. We, we have this. We don't exactly say it this way. But we have this view that the world is like the self-contained thing, and we know exactly how everything works inside of it. And what is this hypothesis about God? And is there a word that breaks in from outside the system? And a lot of us think, I don't, not sure, and maybe not. That's one way of looking at it. That's one attitude. And that attitude was already arising in the 20th century, and I think it's even more intense now than when I was a young man, right? But this is the strange part. On the flip side, on the one hand, there's a whole bunch of people that thinks science can explain everything, and we know that the world is this closed system, and we're going to learn everything there is about the way the world works. And as soon as we know everything there is about the way the world works, why do we need this? <laughs> this thing called the Bible, or revelation, or even religion, and it's in its hardest forms, you, can, you see the, the, the voices who make this argument, they're called the new atheists, and there will always be these voices. But at the same time, Cornelius Van Til said there's another spirit, and they go right next to each other. And the other spirit is that, the, that everything is utterly open. <laughs> that the universe is completely open, and there's, 
So many kinds of possibilities. How could anybody possibly be able to say they have the truth about God and indeed, and this is the part that's so offensive, say that the other views on God are wrong. Hmm. So if you noticed, just, just um, you know, we live here in the Bay Area. Both these spirits are right in the Bay Area. And sometimes, this is really interesting, I've often talked to people who, who don't believe in Jesus. It's in the same person. <laughs> in one conversation, they put on the, the closed system hat. Everything is closed. So I, I don't know about this stuff, this Bible stuff. But then, when you ask them about religion or about what's right and wrong, everything is open. <laughs> it's relativists. We're, we're relativists. And, you know, th th there's this idea that maybe all the different religions are just different pathways to the same one ultimate truth. And wouldn't that be really nice if that was true? But that can't possibly be true, because if you go and actually take seriously what other religions say, they're deeply deeply in confrontation with each other. I mean, there are principles. Just, just take, if you take um, um, our, our present day secular ideas about what's right and wrong, just take our sexuality or something about the way we view money or the way we view about a, a power between certain persons. You can go into other religions, say take Hinduism. Hinduism believes that if you were poor, that you were bad in a previous life and you deserve to be poor, and nobody should be kind to the poor because they deserve what they get. Hmm? That's absolutely <laughs> in contradiction to what we believe as Americans. And that's not even a religious view. That's just a kind of like, just a general view in our society. Almost everybody in America thinks, whether you're a Christian or whether you're secular, we think that we should be kind to the poor. And that people who are powerful should not push down people who are weak. And yet... Hinduism is a religion where that's actually built right into the structure. So that can't possibly be true. And yet, more and more as you meet people, they're saying, well, who knows if Hinduism is not true or right. And you, know, you name all the other religions and all the other worldviews. And so everything has to be really open-ended. So then how can there be a people who go around claiming that they have the answer and their book is it? Wow. And if you see yourself in this vein, uh, it sounds really strange. Like, we want to say we're open to all things. We're the most kind of like tolerant and open-minded people. But there's a problem. There's a problem with this. What if you don't know? There's all these different views about God and what's right and wrong and how we should live our life. At some point, you know what? You have to make a bet. You have to decide how you're going to live your life. What principles will, will govern and you will obey? What, what, what will you, are you willing to sacrifice for, or if, or if anything? If you're not willing to sacrifice for anything, then when the other people come into power and start to push the beliefs that you thought were right against you and maybe throw you into jail or say that you're wrong, will you be able to stand up for them? If you think that poor people or people who, are, who have been oppressed should be protected, are you willing to sacrifice your money for them? Are you willing to stand up to the people who are in power? Are you willing to do this? Or then how about just even simple, um, a, a simpler things that seem less dramatic? How are you going to run your marriage? <laughs> if you and your husband don't agree on what are the deepest priorities about God and about 
being a human being. How is that going to happen? I'm telling you, if these questions are not settled, you're in big trouble. And as you can see, a lot of marriages are in big trouble. And then how about the even next question? Well, what are you going to do with your kids? <laughs> what are you going to do with your kids? So at some point, you have to make a bet. You can't just be open, open, open. And well, we think that science doesn't explain everything. So maybe in the 20th centuries, the, it's a closed system. That became a very strong temptation. But now I think in the 21st century, you have this tension between science and all religions can explain anything. But what I want to propose to you is this. If you're not sure, let me ask you this question. Can you, if you could like put all the different religions and worldviews before you, can you figure out, can you pick and choose and figure out, do you have the wisdom, the competence, the strength, the knowledge, the courage, the conviction to be able to figure out what's true and right, even if it's, you, even if it's just for yourself? Do you? Then you probably don't. And if you're honest with yourself, you don't. The reason, and I hope this isn't going to sound overly um, attacking, but I think the reason why most people want to hold these two views, it's a closed system or it's a wholly open system, is because they don't actually want to commit to any view about God. Because <laughs> as long as there's any, there, you can just keep it all open, guess what? You don't have to obey any other God. <laughs> you don't actually have to let him tell you this area of your life is not so good. <laughs> this area of your life I would like you to change and grow in. And in that way, we can continue to believe that I, come, can, you know, like I get to pick and choose. The religions could be a mall for me to choose out of. In science, well, if I really have a problem, I'll go, I'll go dip into the science. Because they actually know certain things, don't they? And so some combination of science, and I'll dabble in the different religions, and then I'll figure out something that works for me. But I'm telling you, are you really wise enough to figure out what's working for you? And if you face the fact that deep down, really you're being closed-minded, <laughs> and really you're just trusting yourself to figure out the biggest, most profound questions. Now, with that said, as soon as you realize this is the situation that you're in, if you're willing to take seriously that this is the human situation, this isn't just your situation, this is mine, this is all of us. All of us are in this boat. So what we really need is God to come show himself to us. He has to come show himself to us. He has to say, I know you're confused. And I know you're lost. And as I said last week, we, you actually prefer the darkness. You actually prefer your own lies versus the truth of who God is and how he's going to reveal himself to us and how, and how he chooses to do so. And I just want to make just a couple points before I move to the second portion of my message. Are you willing to be open to the possibility that maybe there is a God who's so sovereign over all things, he created language? <laughs> that the way the human mind works is with word. It's word above experience. And that he did it that way so that he could speak. <laughs> that he could give us words. So that in, in a very serious way, the world was oriented to be a stage, not so much of stuff, not of molecules, <laughs> of just molecules like flitting and flying about. That's not what the world is ultimately meant to be for. There's a word which comes from the word. 
to say that the meaning of the world is that it will be a stage for God to be seen, God to be revealed. And that's why he gave us something called language. And then in language, he would give us word, and then he would put together, over time, he would pick certain key people and he would direct them. It doesn't mean like, you know, they went into like a trance and then like, and they, they, it doesn't mean, it's not like that. They get to be human beings. They, you can see there's different styles and they, they spoke and they're clearly affected by their time and their history. And yet God protected and moved history in such a way that he could tell us who he is and draw us to himself and bring forth a word which will be above every other word which will be sufficient and more than sufficient and powerful to draw all nations, all men and women, to himself. Can you believe that that could possibly be possible? (laughs) And if the world is a meaningful world, a world where justice and love and mercy, all the different ways that kind of our culture sort of kind of used to know, and there's a longing even inside our culture, and I would even say it isn't even just a longing in our culture. You can go into deeply deeply just like radically different cultures. And as you start to proclaim this message, some people start to recognize that is the God I've always been seeking. And that's the question I want to place before you. Can you handle this? This is the, this is the way God made the Bible and why he made it this way. Right? Let's go to part two. If you go to today's passage, it says... Um, it's a remarkable passage, and um, it's the latter portion of a book, uh, of a letter, really, that Paul wrote to a younger man. And so, I mean, if you're not familiar with this, Paul is, is an apostle. And as an apostle, that means he is an authorized teacher. He encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we don't have apostles anymore, okay? I mean, to give us the final c- clear revelation, and Paul knew that he was straight up chosen to speak words which would be ultimate, He knew this. But even as he would hand down the leadership of the church to a younger man, this man's name was Timothy, and Timothy grew up in the faith. And what is the the charge, the wisdom, the command that Paul gives to Timothy? And really what he says is, to continue what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that is the scripture. And particularly, you know, at the time he wrote this, the New Testament wasn't, wasn't complete yet. And so he's talking about the Old Testament. And yet, even as the New Testament was being put together, people knew that this was being directed by the Holy Spirit. And this is why that this, was, this was essentially a completion from the Old Testament. And he goes on to say, that this is able to make you wise for salvation. <laughs> Isn't that what we need? There's a source, an infallible source that we need that we can say this is grounded. This is from God. <laughs> and if we can go to this source and trust what it says, this is how we will know that we can come to know and ultimately be in contact with God and be saved by him. Right? And then he goes on to say this, or, uh, this and I hope, I hope you all learned this verse. Um, as a young man, I was, I was taught to memorize this verse. Pretty much all pastors are, are taught to, to memorize this passage because you, you get this question in, uh, in when you go through pastor ordination. Where in the Bible does it say <laughs> that the Bible is inspired? 
And when you stand up, you'll be able to be able to rattle this off. Second Corinthians, um, Second Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. That's a lot. The Bible can, is a really powerful book. Now, let me say a couple things about this, uh, this aspect of, um, of inspiration. Number one, the first thing I want to say is um, this is Jesus' view of the Bible. There are some people who are tempted to think that, you know, well, that's kind of a, a pretty conservative view of the Bible. <laughs> I'm not that traditional, so I want to be a little bit more progressive. And, um, but, you know, so maybe these, these especially conservative people I know, that's the view of the Bible they want. But I want to be, I think I'm a little bit more um, progressive than that. And some people want to say this. And of course, I'm not, I'm not talking politically at all. I'm talking about theologically. But one of the things I want to challenge you is at the, the real, one of the ways that we get at the truth of the Bible is not so much through proof. Because <laughs> how can you prove it? Is there some kind of a standard, like we just know this is the final objective thing, and then we can measure the Bible or the Bhagavad Gita or the Koran or the Book of Mormon against this, this ultimate standard that we already know? That's the problem. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> so how can you prove? In one sense, there, is, there isn't a proof in that, in that way. But what, what, the, what we're inviting you into is to read and encounter the Bible yourself and encounter the God who's revealed and speaks in the Scripture and then ultimately the one who, speaks, who is spoken. The word that is to be spoken is the word who was with God, as I taught you last week, but who is God and who came into the flesh. The ultimate revelation of God is Jesus himself. It is a person. The ultimate revelation of God is is Jesus, and to know Jesus, and the scriptures give you a word to get you to ultimately know Jesus. And do you want to know what Jesus' view of the Bible was? It's something like this. So, I was, I was um, I've been uh, thumbing through this book, which, I, by the way, it's just, I recommend this to you last week, and let me just make a quick plug. A Peculiar Glory, How the Christian Scriptures Reveal Their Complete Truthfulness by Pastor John Piper. So far, I'm like halfway through, superb book, okay? But um, he cites Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus is in a discussion with the Pharisees, and here's how he puts it. The Pharisees came up to him and tested Jesus by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And this is how Jesus answered. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, And then he said this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So according to Jesus, there is God. He made the male and female. And then he said this, A man shall leave his... And then he says that, that verse. It's a very famous verse. But if you actually go back into the scriptures, into Genesis chapter 2, which is where that, that quote is coming from, It doesn't say that God said this. You know what it's just saying? The Bible said this. (laughs) Jesus didn't say that Moses said this, or even that the Bible said this, or that Genesis said this. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said that God said this. And all he's doing is quoting the scriptures. 
This is Jesus' view of the scriptures. And again and again throughout, this is the way Jesus looks at the scriptures. There's actually an extraordinary discussion in, um, in this book by Piper, which I, I, I deeply appreciated. He says that it's, it's even deeper than that. For Jesus, the way the Jews of his time, the way they looked at the Old Testament, it was, an, was a litmus test whether, uh, as to how he saw their, their scriptural sightedness. Do they, I mean, spiritual sight. Are you spiritually blind and willfully in rebellion against God? Or is there some kind of spiritual sight and you're beginning to see that there's a movement and you're starting to move toward God? And you know what was the litmus test that Jesus would use? He would say, if they, don't, if they can't even trust the Bible, then they're spiritually blind. That is the way. If they have no openness to the Bible, that was a litmus test as to their spiritual blindness or their sight. And um, if you know, do you know the story of a, Jesus tells this parable of, of a rich man and Lazarus? So I mean, it's a very famous parable in the, in the Gospel of Luke. And there's a rich man, and he lived his life very, very comfortably. And then after he dies, he goes to hell, basically. Okay? And then there's a poor man who always lived at the, at the rich man's feet. But after the poor man dies, he goes to paradise. And he's with Abraham. And then Jesus tells a story that the rich man is, is suffering in hell, and he can see this poor person. <laughs> he can see this poor person with his father Abraham in paradise, and he calls out, to Abraham, he says, Father Abraham, would you please send him, because everybody in my family knows that poor guy who used to sit at my door. Would you send him back to my family and tell them that he came back from the dead and that please follow God so they don't, my family doesn't end up in this terrible place like me. This is Jesus tells this, this parable. And then you know what, how Jesus teaches it? You know what Abraham says in the parable that Jesus teaches? He says, no, even if somebody comes back from the dead, they will not listen. They have all of the scriptures. And if they will not believe the scriptures, they will not even believe if somebody comes back from the dead. That's the way Jesus puts it. Do you think that's true? Do you think that's true? That if somebody came back from the dead and said, I came back from the dead. <laughs> you know what? You need Jesus. <laughs> you should read the Bible and follow what the Bible tells you about Jesus. And let's believe and love and worship Jesus. If somebody came back from the dead and said that, would people believe? Let's just, let's just do a little thought experiment. All right? Let's just do a little thought experiment. Somebody you know is dying. They go into the hospital. Beep. You know, flatline. Beep. And you know they're dead. I mean, you, you were there. <laughs> you were there. And let's just say they're dead for a while. <laughs> okay? They're dead for a while. Not like two minutes or five minutes. You watch them put the body and take the body away and take them to the morgue portion. And then like the next day, they showed up at your house. <laughs> duck, duck, duck. Hey, John, it's me. I'm not dead anymore. <laughs> right? And then they said, guess what? Let me tell you what you need to do. You should believe in Jesus and read the Bible. If they told that to everybody that they knew, and everybody knew they were dead, do you think, what percentage of those people do you think would begin to follow Jesus? Just, just, just come up with an idea in your mind. 
50%? Do you agree with me? Don't you think the percentage would be low? <laughs> don't you think it would be a low percentage, even if that happened? Don't you think it would be something more like maybe 10% or less? I think what Jesus is saying is really true, especially in a closed-minded time such as ours. And yet Jesus, if you really want to know Jesus, and if you're willing to trust Jesus, he says, go to the scriptures. And all throughout history, one of the things I've seen is, um, you know, throughout the biblical history, miracles weren't enough. <laughs> they weren't enough. I read this extraordinary, there's this extraordinary passage out of a book called Disappointment with God by Philip Yancey. He's a famous um, Christian writer. And I read this years ago. And Philip Yancey would talk to many, many people. Their, their parents would get divorced, but God didn't like, save my, my parents' marriage, and so I'm disappointed with God. God can't be real, so they stopped following Jesus. Or I prayed and prayed that God would save my mom from cancer, but then she died, and so I'm disappointed with God. Or I saw evil, horrible things. I'm disappointed with God. And so he talks to many, many people like this. And again and again, they say, if God would just show up and do something powerful, then I can believe it. And you know what Yancey did? Yancey spent some serious time thumbing through the Bible. And he said, is there a place in the Bible where people would get miracles regularly? And if they did, how did they actually act? Did it change and give them faith? And he said, there is. There was a time in the Bible when God's miracle would happen every day. In the daytime, there would be a cloud, and it would go this direction. Everybody would know it would go this direction. That would be awesome. <laughs> I would love to wake up in the morning and go, that's God's cloud. And then he would just, the cloud would go this direction. I would just drive in that direction. <laughs> that would be awesome. That's how they lived. And at night, there would be a pillar of fire to protect them. How, how do you like that? It's nighttime. There's no electricity or nothing, but there's a pillar of fire outside the camp. And in the morning, we're in the desert. We need food. You know where your food comes from? It comes from just, it shows up. It's called manna. And then when we wanted meat, we asked for meat, and then God gave us meat like crazy until we got sick of it. Right? This kind of stuff happened. And you know what turned the people into? They were rebellious and wicked and angry and always wanted to go back to slavery. And Yancey concluded from that, it's not miracles. Deep down, we must believe what God says. It's his word. That's what produces a deeply new, transformed, a new kind of human being. It's his word. Now, I want to make one more um, case to you from, from, um, from a, a man much smarter than me. So this is, I'm, I'm not smart enough to come up with an argument like this. This is from Tim Keller. <laughs> And I want to give you this Tim Keller argument, and then we'll go to the close of my message, and then we'll go to the table of the Lord, okay? Tim Keller put it this way. Don't you want to meet the real God? And don't you want to have an actual personal relationship with a person who knows you and speaks to you? Don't you want that kind of a relationship? Isn't that the kind of, first of all, isn't that the kind of God you want there to be? He's not just some kind of impersonal set of principles like in the skies. Like, there's like a series of commandments. There's no person to deal with. Right? There's no great judge that condemns the wicked and is merciful to the hurting. 
And there's somebody who will actually speak into your life and he will know you, but he can also, you know, he will come alongside you. Don't, isn't that the kind of God you want in your life? And he's saying this, of course, to Christians and non-Christians, and I'm, I'm saying it to all of you, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian today, isn't that the kind of relationship with a God that you want? He says, and if you want that kind of a relationship with God, guess what? You have to have an inerrant scripture. The scripture must be infallible and it must be above us. It's, it has to be a word that shapes all of the ways that you look at the world. Though it not only just shapes your own personal conduct, but it should shape the way you look at history. The meaning of science. I mean, of course, it's not a science book, so it's, the Bible's not going to tell you, you know, whether this disease is you know, going to be fixed one way or another. But guess what? It can tell you the meaning of science. It can, it can direct how you do your marriage. And how do you build a, a powerful society? Uh, how do you have healthy human heart? And, of course, how you can know God. Huh? But if you think the Bible is just a religious work, a word of man, and thus, since it's just a word of man, it's just on the same level as me, not above, but on the same level as me. If that is the case, then that means, you know what? It's got errors. And, you know, I think I can figure out which one the errors are. And if that's going to be the case, you will not have a real personal God. What you're going to have is a ventriloquist dummy kind of God. Have you, ever, um, have you ever heard of a movie called The Stepford Wives? Have you ever seen this movie? Okay, there's like, like two people who watch this movie. There, there's like two versions of this movie. There's like an older version, which when Keller gave this uh, illustration, he, he only knew the older version, but I saw the newer version. And here's what it is. There's a guy, he go, they, there's this couple, they move into this town. And they move into this town, and everybody who lives in the town is kind of weird because the men have all these wives, their wives talk in this really weird, creepy way, and they always say things like this to their husband, yes, dear, yes, dear, sure, I'll make the dinner. And, and, and they, they always like dress in this perfect way, and they always make sure they've got the perfect shape, and they do their hair perfectly right, and they're always just completely subservient to their husbands. And as the, as the movie progresses, you start to find out that, well, it's, you know, I'm, what you start to find out is that the men got rid of their wives. In other words, they murdered their wives. And they replaced them with robots that looked just like their wives. <laughs> so their wives were essentially, would only say and do exactly what they wanted. <laughs> and didn't have a real relationship with a real woman. They had a robot that just went, yes, dear. Well, you can just have sex with you whenever you want. <laughs> I'll just make whatever food you want. I'll do my hair however you want. And I'll just make the house clean, whatever you want, because that's what you want. Right? And what Keller says is, if you don't have an inerrant scripture that is above us, a word which could be made by, written by human beings, but was ultimately directed and inspired by God, and you can't trust this word to be above, you're going to pick and choose. And anytime there's something in the Bible that you don't like, that's inconvenient, <laughs> then you're going to say, oh, that, that's probably not from God. And then when you pray to God, you're not praying to God. You know who you're praying to? You're praying to your Stepford God, a phony God. You're praying to a, 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 a lapdog, a slave. And can a slave and a robot save you? 
You're praying to a false image of God. And a lot of people do it. And now let me take you to the final portion of the message. But if you want to know the real God, the real God, the Bible promises it can make you wise for salvation. It can make you meet the real God. And the real God is not a convenient God, <laughs> as if you noticed. The real God can disagree with us. Sometimes he is outrageous. Sometimes he says things that are deeply troubling. But isn't that a real person? Isn't the real, every real person that you know, we're not even talking about God. We're just talking about a person. My wife says things, and she's not just looking at her like, eh. It's like, why did you have to say that? That's so annoying. Or even worse, actually hurtful. And that's just my wife, and she, and, but I, I trust her. But how about if there's a real God? Because what if he says, you know this area of your life that you never want to look at? There's a deep problem there. And when you meet that God and hear his word, those are the words you can hear and we can read. And that word that you read and you hear, it's the voice of God. It's God. And ultimately, thankfully, there's a lot of confusing things in the Bible. But everything about the scripture is intended for us to meet some, someone. And that person is God who came down to be with us. And you ever want to know what God is like? All you got to do is meet Jesus. And you ever want to know how Jesus cares for you? How committed he is to you? And whatever he says to you in this whole word, because Jesus is the Lord of the whole word, and his spirit inspired the whole word. But if you're ever unsure, if some of the parts of the Bible that you find scary or threatening or offensive or hard, that you don't want to embrace. But if you have a hard time trusting that word, remember that the Lord who, this word takes us to his person. The God who gave us this word is Jesus. And the central word of the word is the message that Jesus went to hell and back, died for us, took upon all our wickedness, all our blindness, so he could reach us. He could save us. That's what we call the gospel. And if you would go first and always foremost to the gospel, and through the gospel see that the gospel is the very crown of the Bible, is the central meal of the Bible, and ultimately the person in the center of the Bible is Jesus, then more and more you can look at all of the scriptures and receive it into your heart. It will make you complete and full and equipped for everything in life. I hope you'll trust that. I hope you'll believe that. I hope that this thing that I just said to you today will light a little fire under some of you and make you want to go read this so you can hear from God. Let's pray and go to the table of the Lord. Father, today, it's hard, this, this message, and we, we, are, we so want to be our own lords and our own masters and turn to our own wisdom. But I pray that today that this word that came from my foolish lips would be the power of your word. <laughs> and you would take people who would say, I'm tired of being lost in my own wisdom, my own smarts. It's not working. I want to know what Jesus says.
I want to know what God's word says, and I want to follow. I pray, Lord, you would encourage every single brother or sister, especially those who have doubts and difficulty. And I want to pray for people who are listening to this message who don't yet know you and are still not sure if they can trust in the scriptures. And I pray that first they would wrestle with Jesus and they would see Jesus and let Jesus show his, shine his glory upon them and they would be attracted to him first and ultimately thus be able to trust his word. As we go to your table now, this is the sweet word of God that we get to eat, the gospel that we get to eat. I pray that it would fill us, not in our stomachs, but in our heart, just as your word will fill us and make us whole. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.